welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan Breakthrough Podcast. My name is Peter Bond, and with me today is my friend and closest confidant, India Jones. Hello. And our producer, AJ Flaherty. I am here as well. <laughs> no bells and whistles today. Yeah, no. We're being, we're being professional. And last is uh, Joshua Baker. No nicknames needed. I am here. <laughs> no nicknames needed. That's right. We put on our most professional looking hats because we finished Reaper's Gale. And uh, as usual, we have called up one Steven Erickson to talk about the book and talk about our experience and talk about his experience writing the book. Hey, Steve, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. How's your 2022 going so far? Off to a good start? Yeah, the writing's going well. Um, working on three novels at once, which is something I've never done before. Three? Yeah. How did you decide that? Well, <laughs> when COVID hit, um, you know, I, I write in cafes, and so we got a lockdown everywhere, and mm -hmm. it stalled me in my tracks. Um, so I was trying to figure out how do I sort of jumpstart things, and uh, what I did was I started writing at home uh, a, a short sort of weird science fiction time travel novel. And that got me sort of back up to speed, at least writing, um, just to keep my, you know, my skills honed or whatever. And then eventually uh, we reached a point where I can be in cafes because I'm, I'm, you know, vaccinated, et cetera, uh, masked up. And uh, then I switched over to the two fantasy novels. So uh, Walk in Shadow and then um, No Life Forsaken, which is the second of the, uh, the new trilogy. So I'm alternating those two when I'm in cafes. I just use different venues. Hmm. And then I'm still working on the time travel novel at home while I watch hockey games and now baseball. I just turn the sound off and I start writing. Is this like a contemporary thing? Like, is it, is it take place in the 21st century or is it like yeah. a, a distant Yeah, it's mimetic. Well, I mean, it's science fiction, but it's, yeah. it's our world. And it's, it's our world and then not our world. So question about the watching baseball. You're actually the second, I would say, expert in a field I know who practices their craft while watching baseball. Peter and I's tuba professor watches <laughs> baseball on mute and just plays his tuba for like four hours a day. Is there something about the sport that is especially mind numbing that allows you <laughs> to slip into the groove? No, not not really. Uh, I mean, hockey's the same way. Uh, and, you know, the game has gotten very fast now. Mm -hmm. So if you're not watching, uh, you can miss a lot. But then I just I just rewind. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I look up every now and then, check on the score. Mm -hmm. um, but then sometimes if I, if I sort of really get into the writing, uh, I'll, I'll miss half a period. Mm -hmm. uh, the baseball has just started up. So it's um, it's just it's been a long time. Uh, it's nice to watch the Jays. So I'm watching. Nice. Very nice. nice. Now, do you think this sci-fi novel will see the light of day or is this going to just be a personal thing? It's a good question. Um, I really don't know. I don't know. I'm going to send it off to a couple of people and see what their response is. Like what I've got so far, mm -hmm. which is about 180 pages thereabouts. Um, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. It's kind of a thought experiment. It's more very much uh, old-fashioned, traditional science fiction. So there's not a lot of action. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, There are events, but there's not a lot of sort of you know high-end uh, style action. And now is the plan still to have Walk and Shadow out next, even though you're starting up this next witness book? No, Walk and Shadow is, is a monster. It's it's gonna take it's gonna take a couple of years at least. And then when I switch to like No Life Forsaken, um that's just fine. It's just like uh the goddess not willing. It it just rolls along. So it, it it's like there's three different sort of 
um, expressions of creativity at work here. And each one is, is quite unique. And so they, they don't overlap in that sense. Now, judging by some of the stuff you've posted on your Facebook, I assume that this second witness book will have some seven cities correlation to it, or is that just... Yeah, yeah, it starts in seven cities, yeah. I guess we'll see a little bit more about that, but always interesting to hear what you're working on nowadays. So Mm -hmm. we just finished up our reread of Reaper's Gale, and uh, I asked you this before, I'm just curious, do you think you uh, have any regrets about that book? when you think back on it? Um, I don't think back on books. Sorry. Um, <laughs> they're done, right? Once they're done, they're yeah. gone. Fair, fair. You know, even even regret is, is, a, is a wasted uh, sentiment. It's a wasted emotion. So it, it, it's indulgent in, in this respect. Um, mm-hmm. So there's nothing... Yeah, I, I just... It is, it is what I wrote. And um, there it is. So why? Do you think I should be regretting something? <laughs> Not, not what I was getting at. I just, uh, you know, I don't know. Fucking funny. Sorry. Um, no, but it's a good attitude. Steve, I don't know if we've asked before. Do you have any siblings? I have an older brother, five years older. Okay. So, I mean, Reaper's Gale is such a... That. I think we did, because there's so much brother stuff in this series. What... I feel so bad for the Sangar brothers. And I know I, I just, I, I'm so impressed you did that because with the exception of Troll, I don't like any of them. So I, I guess what I'm just getting at is, is um how, like, what, what were you, were you drawing from anything in particular when you were, when you were, you know, basically introducing an entire family and then just, you know, eradicating them, I guess, is a <laughs> blunt way to put it. Well... One observes family dynamics, you know, um, one lives through them and then observes them uh, in other families. And just setting up, you know, I'd already set up the premise of, of the brothers, so I had to deal with them in some fashion mm-hmm. or another. But each took their own path, and um, that was sort of the whole purpose of it. Yeah, each mm-hmm. was driven by their own uh, their own needs. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, in many respects, I guess, um, that led to tragic ends. Yeah, I, there was there was four pages in this book where I was like, and that's right, Troll and Breeze and Tehol, the best brothers, they're all going to be together, and then you took it from us. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, it's it's been it's it's been such a bit since we finished this book. I just remembered that we leave we leave Lethris under the rule of Tehol, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the obvious leader, and that's just it's like funny. I just thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it just it was like it it just like <laughs> emerged from my brain. Like remember that? Um, I'm just like, I, feel free not to answer this, but like, is this a storyline that we get to see? go farther because i could see this being like th- this happens and then we don't come back to it for the rest of the book really or the rest Agreed. of the series like is this something that comes back in these in these 10 uh, let's just say there's there's some cameos sure oh that's exciting all right that's all we need really fair enough yeah that's just a little sprinkle <laughs> yeah follow up if you could cameo on one television show what would it be i almost cameoed on on game of thrones um <gasps> i was living in the uk and uh, the call came out for um, extras uh, for anybody who could ride, uh, ride a oh. horse. And I, I, I did seriously consider popping over to Ireland uh, and, and just having a, yeah, sort of an inside joke there. <laughs> I, I wouldn't identify myself. I would just, you know, mm-hmm. be there. Oh, man. Um, I'd, love you, I'd love you to cameo on the Wheel of Time show. I think that would be incredible. That would be fun. 
That would be mm -hmm. fun. I don't think I'll be asked, but yeah. Maybe a red shirt on, on Picard. <laughs> oh, there it is. Put you on below decks or something. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of, of the Wheel of Time show, and I guess just television in general, what besides hockey and baseball, is there anything uh, particular that you've been watching that has kind of caught your uh, eye in the last bit? Uh, I thought Arcane was excellent. Oh, Ooh, yes. The Arcane twist from Steve. Yeah. I, I have a question just really quickly. I'm When you say baseball, is it like it's what, our, what kind it, of baseball? It's our it's our baseball, India. MLB baseball. Okay. Yeah, uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Didn't know that. I don't even know. I don't know what that is either. I I don't know anything about that. So, <laughs> checking in. Thank you. So does this mean you're uh, becoming a big League of Legends fan now? Just turning into a big gamer? No, 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 no. I knew I knew nothing about League of Legends, and I think I preferred that. Um, that is the right just, choice. Just go in. <laughs> Go in and, and, and take the, the product uh, on the television on its own merit. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, the animation was, was superb. You know, the, the ability to, uh, I guess, map on um, all of the actors' expressions and emotions uh, to actually convey and communicate to the audience, um, I thought was brilliantly done. We, we've asked you about anime in the past, but have you watched other like animated, not necessarily anime, but like have you watched animated stuff in the last while or no not really i mean just great looking animation i don't know it's mm -hmm. not about the style of it but well things are changing fast right i mean unreal tournament uh, or unreal engine version five, five yeah is is absolutely breathtaking wild mm -hmm. and then i i think once they release metahuman um it will really open things up for independent filmmaking without the need for sets and um mm. Mm -hmm. cast and all the other stuff because unreal engine can do it all right it, it's got all the camera angles choice of lenses lighting yeah. uh you name it it can do it so that's that i think will really open things up we'll see a lot more independent productions and that would be really cool yeah you see any path into an animated malazan thing uh i can't comment on that right now Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, a, little, a little dodge a little dodge from steve okay mm. interesting <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I don't know if I could watch a Malazan animated show because I can't picture any human that isn't real and it would really mess with my brain to see mm. humans or anything that I've read about. Uh, Joshua, have you looked at the metahuman stuff? I don't know what that is. Right. Me either. Well, Google it and you'll see what I mean. It, it comes as close to crossing the uncanny valley. I'm glad it doesn't, mm -hmm. but it's very close. It's wild stuff. I've seen just like, you know, tech demos and stuff like the the, oh. the, the Matrix demo and whatnot was in Unreal 5. It's there. It's wild. Oh, it's I don't like the, that. I the oh, the first <laughs> image has given me chills. That is oh. <laughs> too realistic. I don't like it. <laughs> but I mean, you can still tell that it's not not it's not real. It's just yeah, but there's like just, there's imperfections in a way I've never seen mm. on a Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. They look like <laughs> like like video game people. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But but more. <laughs> but more. But more. Video game plus. Speaking of video game. <laughs> I knew it. I was going to hell. I was going to jump you in. Yeah. DJ. Um, I, I, I the, you may have heard in the last few weeks of this game called Elden Ring that came out. George R.R. R. Martin was a consultant on it or like wrote some of the lore and stuff. And then it's it's this huge world with this like really, really dense like history and and lore and stuff. And I just didn't know if you had heard anything about it, because um, it's certainly I've, I've had people talk to me about how it's like thematically 
like it's it's like the malazan of video games uh is kind of the thing that i've heard people say um just in terms of like the way that the lore is presented and stuff and it's just like there is so much stuff that's like hey this thing exists and we're not going to really tell you about it but this is how the world is um and you're just kind of thrown in and experience yeah, it. So yeah I, I, I heard a few sort of comments uh mm-hmm. sort of malazan vibes quote unquote mm-hmm. But I, I'm I'm certainly hoping that's not you know storyline and and plot and character. No, 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 no. <laughs> no yeah, it's it purely vibes and 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 like the thematic elements. Um, cool, cool. Yeah, it's it's very very interesting. Speaking of games, I did want to. Uh, I was just speaking to your illustrious uh, colleague Ian Cameron Esselmont, and um, I was prodding him about Malazan in the realm of tabletop RPG publication. Is there, uh, it made it sound like in the past there had been some exploration of this. I just feel like this is fertile ground, no? Yeah. Um, yeah, we have been you know, approached by a number of groups, but it seems that there is, so far at least, no staying power. You know, we start negotiating with them. Uh, we start, I guess, discussing sort of uh, structural elements, um, visual elements, that kind of thing. And then they go quiet and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of it. So that's happened, I'd say, four or five times now. So um, we're kind of jaded when you know when when somebody contacts us because this sure. just this just keeps happening. Mm. I'm aware of a group that is working on something, but they're doing it on spec at the moment, and you know they'll have to get something ready before they come and talk to us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, should we turn back to Reaper's Gale? Yeah. I feel like we barely touched the book Guys. ostensibly. I, yes, I agree. What were, where was the last time we saw Perrin? Uh, Bone Hunter's book on a boat uh, with Absalar. No, sorry. No, he's he leading, got he's leading, that the, he's leading that army. He's leading that army. Right. Okay. That's right. all I remember. Because he, he went to find Hedge, and then Hedge helped him find... The, they like, killed that plague god. Yeah. Has he seen Tavor right, yet? Right, No. Huh. Yeah, that's going to... Uh, it's definitely not going to happen huh. until book nine or ten. I just had, I just thought about that. Yeah. I was just thinking about Tavor and then I was like, parent. And then I was like, wait, they haven't seen each other. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, have you, do you guys ever think about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, yes, I'm like, India. oh, there's this character who we had an entire book with a storyline yeah. and I just have completely forgot about them. I, right? I, yeah. I actually would love to say we, we've started Toll the Hounds and um, I do want to know if you ever had a doubt in your mind on like, I know they haven't been to Jerusalem in seven books, and really they haven't seen any of these characters since book three, but they'll still love them. Did you ever doubt that? Because you were right, <laughs> but it's a bold assumption. Well, I knew the, the eighth book was going to return us to the setting uh, of the first book, and it sets something in place that has a knock-on effect to books nine and ten, obviously. Uh, although indirectly for the most part. But it just, I remember, you know, sitting down to, to write it and it felt like I was coming home because I was so familiar with, you know, the Rujistan and the characters. And uh, so it was nice to, to to return to them. Nice. Yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be back. Yeah. It, it's a problematic book for a lot of people. So uh, I'll be interested to get uh, your take on it. Well, that's oh, foreboding. Problematic, why? Yeah. <laughs> it's primarily told in Krupp's voice. Well, that means that's the perfect book. Yeah. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Thank God yeah. I'm not audiobooking this one. I would I actually, you know, lose my I remember, mind. I remember you telling us this in book one and being livid, and now I'm here for it. Uh, yeah. I would lose my mind. I thought that was so interesting um, to, like, couch this whole book in, like, 
it's being told from Krupp's point, of, like the whole prologue and then ending with, all right, well, let me tell you about this thing. Um, like that was so it's I don't know. It's it's just so cool because like none of these other none of the books really, except for like the first one, which starts off with like, this is a history and we never get mm-hmm. like a voice, you know, like there's never like here's somebody telling a story. Um, that's just like really cool. Was that intentional to give this book kind of a and I, I guess an angle? Uh, yeah, of course, it's intentional. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair enough. What was the intention, I guess? It's more and I've described this many times. It's it's a cipher for the series. So if you can work out Toll the Hounds and what it's doing uh, structurally, that is uh, kind of a smaller scale version of what's happening in the entire series. But you'll only get all that after you've completed the series. Have, has, has anyone ever written a thesis on that statement you just said? Because I feel like it's fertile ground for a while. Well, um, no one's written a thesis on it, but YouTube has had a number of people discuss this at length. Um, so AP Kahneman's Critical Dragon... Um, Philip Chase and uh, a gentleman named Nifflerog, who's oh, done, yeah. has done a phenomenal job. Um, awesome. So it has been discussed, but you guys aren't there yet. So yeah, Sorry. yeah, we've yeah, moved no, ahead to this. No the next spoilies, book. no spoilies. I, we read three chapters of Told the Hound. <laughs> We're chomping at the bit. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so to bring it back to a Reaper's Gale storyline, so we have this, uh, you know, your Udanis, your Fear Sengar story. You know, they're on their journey. And um, listen, we're it's it's gone. We're done. We're done book seven. <laughs> but um, I, I will say, I, you know, obviously there's these elements of, I, I, da- I deign to use the word, but um, kind of a postmodern-esque element in there where uh, some kind of a me- meta-esque commentary about the story. And I wonder why you chose to bring that Met, those meta thoughts to Adonis and to have that be a part of that storyline? Um, I think by this point, I was probably deliberately dismantling um, the hero's journey and mm-hmm. because I, I have you know, particular issues regarding it. And so because, I mean, the hero's journey is, is an essential uh, aspect of that which preceded postmodernism and became a target for postmodernism. Um, so Udinus was certainly bringing that to light. But this relates also to the whole meta thing I was talking about with Toll the Hounds being the cipher, is that there are kind of fractal levels to it. So uh, a single character can actually play out something um, that is fractally connected to the entire novel and uh, potentially to the entire series. And, and those are kinds of hints being dropped in, uh, in terms of how to read this series. So that was kind of the role that Udinas was playing. It was sort of the, the jaded modern audience um, taking a second look at, at the hero's journey. From the Udinas group, um, a real standout character in this one was our, our good friend Clip. How do you write someone as obnoxious? What, what are like some easy traits you can sprinkle in to make an audience immediately disdains a character? Um... I find often it's quite a small thing. It's um, you give the character a um, a physical habit, a gesture. I knew you were gonna say it. Yeah, the stupid <laughs> rings, the stupid rings, and the laughing at comments. Which would you know? I've certainly met people who do you know weird things with pens and pencils and their fingers and all that kind of stuff, and it gets irritating. You know, it doesn't take long where you kind of fed up with it. So I mean, the other camp example would be Terlac Vide and um, the spitting in the hair back. Yeah. Oh my god. That sucked. 
So, yeah, so you pick uh, particular habits and gestures. Um, you know, if they're doing something odious then or irritating, then uh, that's an easy way of doing it. But then he's got his own particular point of view. And so I have to, I have to write from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that involves a certain amount of uh, arrogance in the character, then I have to portray that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, dead silence. Yeah, I'm just... Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a, a like a, a way to segue it, but I can't. Okay, I'll I'll ask you guys. Red mask. Oh. And that's oh, where I was trying nice. to get to. Yeah. Thank you so much. For we yelled a lot about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I've already said I want to reread all of the red mask. I, I think I mean I think I mentioned in the the epigraph episode with Pete. I already want to reread this book and and completely rethink everything I heard about red mask. And I still don't think I'll be satisfied. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to do that until we finish the series. Um, but I'm very mad at you. <laughs> it's an interesting you- little, yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed writing that stuff, but I also knew that it was, it was subverting a whole lot of stuff going on. And I've used the word fractal. Uh, I, I, do you guys, do you guys all get what I'm talking about there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that was very much, um, a storyline that, that was a kind of fractal expression of, a lot of the the warfare that's going on in the series um, and the point of it all, there being actually None. no point to it all. So, mm-hmm. um, but it was, it was, I remember I, I certainly enjoyed writing it and I knew it was going to finish with a bit of a bang um, mm. in an unexpected way. But also there was the visual image of the two armies covered in mud, which I thought was, couldn't be more appropriate for the absurdity uh, of, of war mm. because it makes everybody the same. Right. Right. And yeah. No point. No point in having colors on your armor when you're covered in mud. Yeah. Everyone's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I, brings me to the 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 big question I think that I have and a lot of people have about Red Mask is Red Mask leth- lethary or like what is the yes yes just yes okay mm. so yeah. does that mean okay so follow question and if if this gets answered later you can say it gets answered later does that mean that the history that people say of Red Mask is incorrect and that's not who this that's not this is not that same red mask or are you going to just smile and never answer that question until the day you die i'm smiling right now uh, yeah well all right you you're so overall i think if someone was to ask me like why is malazan really good i would say imagine the most badass shit ever all the time and then every time you're like it couldn't get more this is the greatest that they get they all trip on their shoes and they fart uh, every badass character just or moment just is like ripped out from under them and it's so satisfying every time and also the worst every time mm-hmm. like a- aj your thought on dragons oh sure yeah yes i had this thought about dragons uh every dragon in this book just kind of eats it spectacularly uh i mean the sisters obviously but then even when uh ruin finally you know transforms just gets shot out of the sky and is forced to retreat like what like was that in an effort to kind of subvert fantasy in a way or is that just subverting these characters of like they're not actually as powerful as they think they are or is it kind of both or it's both it's both for sure i mean there needs to be leveling uh factors at work um otherwise you you run the risk of you know overpowering a particular um, entity or character mm. and then that forces everybody into the role of, of uh, subservient or victim and I mean one can run with that for a while in, in, in books but um, I would not want to see it constantly repeated so that every time a dragon shows up uh, everybody falls to their knees yeah. that wouldn't quite work and 
there's an irreverence to the melasma marine anyways that that mm -hmm. you know doesn't react in, in predictable fashions um when it comes to something like a dragon showing up um they just they just do their job uh you know sure. it doesn't That's matter true. what's going to uh challenge them they're going to respond to it and this 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 becomes very important when you get to book nine but of course mm -hmm. uh, you're not there yet so right <laughs> and so i i think the 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 saying that the, the ridge burners act in ways or i guess the bone hunters act in ways that you maybe wouldn't expect when the lethery are throwing that sorcery at them down in the village and uh our sweet beak mm. uh makes the force field and then they just invite the you know the the eater in like that was that's just another element of that right yeah it is. yeah speaking of beak <laughs> i i don't really have much to say it's just like what a just that storyline was just really uh i think incredible um through this through this uh book um of just like this like purely innocent uh person um just like finally being shown some you know respect and like being treated like a person by you know uh, uh sort and stuff and then just like um you know ultimately making making that ultimate sacrifice for you know, people that he sees as friends. I just, just, I, I don't really have a question. That's just like, great. I, I loved it a whole lot. Um, well, he sort of showed up on the page. Uh, I hadn't written him before. Um, his first scene, he just sort of showed up. And mm -hmm. then I, I found myself pulled into that point of view. And then I realized that there was a history there and uh, a pretty dark secret in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it became a very char interesting character to write, to really contrast the internal landscapes for each of us, uh, how we view ourselves and how we think others view us, um, and contrast that with with the external. So mm -hmm. how how everybody else sees him, um, and his quite often his inability to to actually understand or know how he is seen by others. But he he's guided more by his assumptions of how he is seen by others, right? And that tends to be quite um, uh, like self inflicted wounds. Uh, on the character so and then the ending sort of just sort of uh showed itself to me and i think in the original version i don't know if i took him through hood's gate but i think i, I then went back and said i can't stop at that point i gotta take him through oh, a beautiful closure so when you're writing and for like specifically beak how, when did you realize like oh he's gonna die like <laughs> and and did that like impact anything like while you were writing about him? I mean, even though the, the, the novels are, are, are plotted, so I know where I'm ending, I leave enough room for spontaneity. And so stories will pick up that I did not expect. And then I have to think about how I can make sure it still stays part of the narrative. It doesn't pull us too far away. Um, but no, I did not know uh, Beak's demise until maybe three pages before I got there. Wow. But you see, that's, that's part of the, I write to entertain myself. And so, and that's, you know, sort of the, the, the pleasure one gets when you, when you, you created a narrative, narrative up to a certain point and um, you then have to work out where it's going to go and what are the repercussions of it. To contrast that um, with say Red Mask, where I knew the ending of that one. <laughs> You're the only one. You're the only one who knew the ending of that one. <laughs> Classic Steve. I know how this is going to end. Uh, a whole army from book three is going to appear through a magic portal, which for the record, I called 
a few episodes from the end, and I'm it's my proudest moment today. You did, yeah. Uh, sp- I want to. Speaking of things you knew in advance, um, in book, when's the first book that we're here? Is it book five? Book five, yes. In book five, <laughs> every time I would say the Atripita Yantovis, Peter would say Twilight, and it got really <laughs> on my nerves. Uh, and why did you feel the need? to include an entire sub-religion on this continent of water witch people. Are there, is there more of them? Because I'm obsessed with all of it. Oh, you just wait. You just wait. <laughs> Once you get past yeah, Toll the Hounds, uh, we return to this, this setting, and um, it, that's, that's where the end run is. So don't worry. Mm-hmm. There's plenty more to come. I'm so hyped for the shake. So when we're returning to the Empire here, why did you choose to examine kind of secret polices as a structure and yeah. um, their inclusion in the Empire of the State and as a plotline in this book? I think Tan Aliathanar is the first point of view in chapter one. I could be wrong. I think, I mean, it's pretty early on that we start in on that perspective. So I think about when coming back to the Empire and its state, why you chose to have that point of view and then kind of why you came and chose to come in with an organization like the Patriots. Um, it's a good question. I, I I don't I don't know if I can give you a, a satisfactory answer. Um, I was thinking about what would be the the fallout or possible fallout of the conclusion of Midnight Tides, uh, the fifth book, and how would the society and the civilization evolve from that point, where um, it now had the equivalent of the Normans in, in England ruling everything, but from a state of of naivety that I think then became something that could be exploited. And so uh, social control uh, at that point became much easier in in many respects. And I think within that vacuum, um, these things appear. Hmm. And that was just how I I sort of saw that civilization shaking itself out. And also they are there in opposition to the changes coming to that place uh, via Tahol and Bug. So, you know, you got to set up the two extremes before you take one of them down. Mm. Because in a sense, it justifies the taking down of that system. So I guess that's the role it plays. What, what do you mean by justifies? What do I mean by justifies? Um, <laughs> well, Tahol has his reasons for bringing the system down. And the level of tyranny that is uh, built into that system by that point certainly appears as, as uh, sufficient uh, justification for um, bringing that bringing that that system down, uh, at least in Tahol's eyes. I mean, it's not like Tahol can inherit would inherit the Lutheri Empire uh, unchanged. Sure. Um, so that needs to be sort of set up early. That uh, when when he becomes Tahol the only, uh, there will be changes in in, in the empire. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think makes? Uh... I mean, obviously, we see here like the tipping point of the Lothari Empire, and we see the ineffectiveness of the Eater at creating their own empire. What do you think it is about the Malazan Empire that has like given it, like helped it maintain this success, even through uh, like times of revolt in places like the Seven Cities? What are they doing better than everyone else? I don't know. Um, in many ways, it's like they've reached a, a critical mass in terms of. Uh, their sheer size, so that mm-hmm. even local conditions uh, cannot actually uh, affect great change. And so if there's going to be change within the empire, it's got to come from from the, from the center, from the core. Uh, so mm-hmm. what goes on elsewhere 
You know, in many ways, if the Roman Empire hadn't uh, decided to split into the East and West, mm -hmm. um, you might have a completely different history of the Roman Empire. And in a sense, you know, at its height, uh, the Roman Empire had reached that kind of critical mass where even if there are problems and there are flaws within it, it will just chug along, uh, at least until it didn't, uh, <laughs> historically anyways. So it's not maybe, maybe at this point, I just think the Milazan Empire is doing it better and uh, we're going to see it not do better eventually. I would, that'd be great. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, yeah, you haven't, you haven't got to, you know, the new trilogy, uh, the Carsa one, is 10 years after uh, the, the 10th book. See, even that, Steve, feels like a spoiler because now I know that the world does not explode at the end of book 10, which truthfully felt still possible. Um, really? Really? I, <laughs> this, everything's so wild in your books all the time. Yeah, I don't think I would, I mean, if I'd ended on, uh, you know, on, you know, the destruction of the world, um, that's a pretty nihilistic ending, wouldn't you say? It's true. You also like write yourself out of a, you know, franchise, so. It's a story about compassion. You gotta keep okay. the IP going. Yeah, it's true, it's true. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Producer AJ here. How you doing? It's been a while. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. And thank you, as always, to Steve for coming on the show and tolerating my rambling questions. There are more to come. Do not worry. Uh, also, just wanted to quick apologize for some of the audio issues you may have noticed in the app. Pete was out of town, away from their usual setup, uh, and I forgot to tell Steve to wear headphones. So... There might be some echo there. Whoops. Uh, if you'd like to get your thoughts or feelings about this or any of our episodes, uh, you can always email us 10verybigbooks at gmail.com. Tweet us at 10verybigbooks. Or you can head on over to our Discord bit.ly slash VBB Discord. That's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D. Discord, that link will be in the show notes. Thank you to all of our wonderful patrons over on Patreon. If you'd like to financially support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash 10verybigbooks. That link will also be in the show notes. Uh, we've released some pretty fun uh, bonus episodes this year, uh, including one where we talk with our friend Nathan about the fourth Star Trek movie. Uh, I forget what the subtitle is, but it's the, it's the fourth one where they go to 1980s Earth. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, and as always, thank you so very much to Dan Gesserk for making our spectacular cover art. You can follow him on Twitter at A underscore W underscore Dan G for concerns about the Madagascar cinematic universe. And of course, the wonderful music in today's episode, including the remixed intro and outro track, is by the one, the only Amaranthin from his album, The New Romantic, which you can find along with his other music, including a single of the remix show theme on bandcamp.com. Links to their pages will be in the show notes and 10 very big books will be back in two weeks on April 15th, talking about the prologue and chapters one, two, and three of Toll the Hounds. Awu, season eight is here. Thank you. I'll talk to you then. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get back to the conversation. Partly this, this book is kind of about like, to me, like this uh, building up and tearing down of like, I don't know, structures of mm -hmm. power and stuff, I guess. And an like one way that we haven't touched on yet is through this idea of like worship and stuff um, with, I mean, like literal worship with like the, the crippled God and, and, and whatnot and, and with uh, male and the errant like these ideas are, are brought up uh, a few times, but the, the crippled God straight up says like, um, I can't remember who it is who's trying to like draw on his power or whatever. And he says something to the effect of like, you all made me this way. 
Like I am only this like, you know, crippled, uh, uh, hurting mass because of all of the people who worship him. Um, and then there's all this talk throughout of males, the, the cult of male, like making a return or whatever. Um, and, and how male can like feel them and hear them and stuff. And like, I don't know the, these, these ideas of, of the worshipped being shaped by the worshipers, I think is so literally, I think is, is just like a really, really cool thing. What, like, I don't know, made you want to like write about those ideas in that way? Well, consider the alternative, which is more or less what we're experiencing in our world, where you can pray to a god or series of gods. You can be a person of faith. You can be someone who is devout. And you can, on occasion, believe and, and hear the voice of your deity. But the deity does not show up physically in front of you. And the deity, at least in, in, in our sense here in this world, for the most part, maybe Judeo-Christian only, views the deity as a uh, omnipotent and omniscient and benevolent uh, entity to some extent. Right. But in the Malazan world, the gods are simply ascendant beings. And so they're more Olympian than they are um, anything else. Mm, okay. So they have personalities, which means they have flaws um, and they are present. So here in this world, the question of, you know, you look at the crimes, say, maybe committed uh, in the name of one religion or another, uh, one church or another, sure. um, residential schools here in Canada, for example, uh, the treatment of Native, Native children. Hmm. And yet one cannot sort of argue that that somehow impugns the deity, God himself, right? It's simply the flaws of the mortals. Mm-hmm. So there is no... There's no feedback. There's no feedback between uh, the mortals and, and their gods in that sense, right? Um, guilt cannot be passed upward, as it were. So in the Malazan world, it, this is a very different scenario. It's it's one in which there is uh, efficacy to both uh, the believer and the believed. And so there's a biofeedback mechanism at work, mm-hmm. and one affects the other and vice versa. One has yeah. greater power uh, individually, but numerically, the other has greater power. So you got this. You got this tug of war that's between the yeah. two, um, and the gods are uh, they are flawed and they have personalities, and they have to try to manage their own sense of self with the belief systems uh, that are built up around them. And so I always just found that an interesting sort of approach to yeah. things, uh, where it becomes a, a true dialogue as opposed to. Um, an entirely uh, internal one, which exists in mm-hmm. our world. Kind of in 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 both worlds, uh, whether this dialogue is internal or literal, the the shape of the deity is, or the, the deity is shaped by the worshiper. Which is uh, to some extent, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, that that's. I mean, one can argue uh, whether that's the case here as well. I mean, sure, but we we don't know. I mean, it's, it's more of a yeah, philosophical fair. question than anything else. Sure, sure. Um, but with fantasy, of course, you take the metaphor, make it real, and you just put it in place and explore it at that point. Have Have you ever thought about writing within like the, an existing framework, like or like an established established pantheon of gods, like Neil Gaiman's American Gods? Have you ever thought about writing in a real world setting and drawing from inspiration from like an existing pantheon of gods, or does that feel like constraining to you, constricting to you as an author? 
well, I don't know if it's constraining. Um, I might, I might get a sense of lacking originality to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's been done a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. And you mentioned American Gods. Well, I think Tim Powers did a far better job of that kind of story than than Gaiman did. Ooh. You know, having read Tim Powers. Um, no, I'm typing his name in right now. <laughs> Drawing of the Dark, Anubis Gates, uh, Stress of Her Regard. They are extraordinary books, and I could not hope to match them. And so if somebody's been there, done it, and I absolutely adore what they did, you know, why would I fall into the wake of that? Yeah, yeah. And try to do my own thing. Like, like where do you view, or how do you view, rather, um, like historical fiction? Like creating stories out of... I yeah. do read it, yeah. I, I, quite often I read, I read it because generally, you know, the ones that really sort of make their mark, like Hilary Mantel, people like that, they've done their research, and they're very good writers. Yeah. Um, I was just recently at ICFA, actually. We were talking about um, Bernard Cornwell's um, Arthurian trilogy, which I thought was probably the best take on, on the Arthurian. And, you know, in that respect, I mean, kudos to anybody with the ambition to tackle, you know, such a, a, a well-known um, mythology, a myth mm. and story. And, and Bernard Cornwell did a fabulous job with that. Yeah. So, would, you, would you ever dabble? In, in historical fiction or, or, or something of the like? Because I know mean, you're a pretty um, well-read for, person. This is, this is ridiculous. I, I'll never get to it. <laughs> um, I had an idea for a story called The Last Vandals on Earth. It would actually be the last of the Vandal tribe, um, mm. which ended up in, well, I guess Libya, modern-day Libya. So you have to imagine that they were somewhere, in, they came from somewhere northeastern Germany, I guess, somewhere around there. But probably before that, uh, the steppes in the east, uh, they wandered all the way down, stopped off in Rome to sack it and take as much as they want. Uh, ended up then, this is migrating peoples, they ended up moving across to um, Hispania, uh, where they conquered. Then became something of seafaring peoples in the sense that they then traveled across to North Africa and conquered that. And they were there for, I'm not sure, maybe 120 years, something like that. And then just promptly disappeared. Uh, the Berbers um, overthrew them and they just disappeared from history. Wow. So my story idea was, I think about six, because, you know, I like squad size, six vandals <laughs> left on, on the run, fleeing um, uh, desert tribes and uh, taking the story from there as they, they head towards, I think I was planning to head them towards Jerusalem originally. It was going to be kind of a, a comic, dark kind of uh, novel. There it is. Now, yeah. if we if we start, I want this right now. Can we start it? Can we start a GoFundMe? <laughs> and what is your price? Uh, no price is possible. It's all down to time. Fair. You know, it's all down to time. If I clear away the stuff I'm working on, then yeah, I may just sit down and pop that one out because mm. it, it would be a, a, a fun story. And uh, I know I did, I think the first chapter a few years <laughs> back, assuming I can find it. And the characters, um, yeah, they were a lot of fun. It sounds like it. Sort of I, sort of halfway between Malazan Marines and Trigal Trade Guild. <laughs> sort of stuck <laughs> in so between fun. the two. Speaking of time, do you have any thoughts on Brandon Sanderson and his absolutely ludicrous work pace that he just has those books in the tank uh, apparently he's got a fairly large team um you know he, he's he's a you know he's an organization he's he's you know a company in that respect so um mm-hmm. you know i think he's got at least three tiers of readership advanced readers uh and editors and all the rest so he's 
uh, an extraordinary businessman. Mm. Never thought about it like that. Like writing the book, then you have to wait for the editor to read it and make the revisions and send it back. That's wow. I never thought mm. of that. Yeah. Well, he's got his own publishing house too, doesn't he? So yeah, he can write and, and publish. Uh, it's all in-house there. So in that respect, he's not reliant upon, like he can give deadlines and, and his staff will provide, you know, they'll, mm -hmm. they'll meet those deadlines. Um, right. He sent a manuscript off to a publisher and, uh, if you're lucky, you'll get, you know, something back in eight months time. Sure. It's just the nature of the beast. So AJ asked about historical fiction. I've been reading some crime fiction recently. And I just, I, I'm looking aside in the, from the fantasy aisle to the other genre aisles, to your crimes, to your romances, to your spies. And I just wonder what your, your horrors, if you will. I wonder if you have a relationship with other genre fiction and, and how much you've dabbled in uh, those other types of genre fiction? Well, I, I, I partly grew up reading spy novels, that kind of thing. My mother, I seem to recall, was a big fan of James Bond uh, and then the crime stuff, Perry Mason, Matt Helm. Um, anyways, sort of a lot of, a lot of the, the noir stuff was, was stuff she was reading. And then I, I think I read a fair bit of Ludlum, Robert Ludlum and um, Tom Clancy. So uh, that kind of stuff was was good reads, good books to take with me on a dig. Mm. Have have you read any Harlan Coben? Because I have not, but this fool has destroyed my Netflix suggestions because I watched everything that is from him, and I'm obsessed now. There's a lot of adaptations of his stuff right now, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And boy, howdy, are they all the same? And every time, it just sucks me right back in. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. Very similar in that respect, I guess, to Elmore Leonard, maybe a precursor to that, when suddenly all of Leonard's books are being picked up right, left, and center. Mm -hmm. uh, some, some works are, are very well suited for, um, for film and, and, and television. And, you know, that, I mean, I would say that's probably one of the strongest uh, genres out there in film and television, maybe always has been. The police procedural uh, or the mystery uh, genres, uh, they're, just, they're just perfectly made. For this kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Either it ends on a bow, on like a nice little tied in a bow, or there's a cliffhanger every time, and it just—it's mm -hmm. so perfect. And you can see that bleeding into podcasts too, with true crime being, you know, like the top three biggest mm -hmm. podcasts are, you know, a true crime podcast. Like it's oh, um, I I've got a question, Steve. If you were going to have a podcast, <laughs> what would you make it about? I was going to have a podcast. Everyone's got one, man. I don't know if you're aware. It's true. <laughs> They're giving them to anyone. I might do one on, on archaeology, maybe. That's fair. Uh, oh, yeah. That tracks. Classics, um, classical history, antiquities, maybe. But there's plenty of those out there. So, you know, mm. it's just mm -hmm. one more drop in the ocean. It's, um, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not really inspired in that direction. The audio medium's not your forte. <laughs> no, no, not really. That's, That's fair. Speaking of, of mediums and you bring up this idea of like, uh, you know, crime being perfect for the visual um, in the conversation that uh, Pete and Iskar Jarak had with uh, Camlet, where we, we released that episode, I guess, last week at time of recording, um, brought up that you had originally written Gardens of the Moon as a screenplay. Mm hmm. Have you and and I think the reason Cam gave was that it's just like it's easier to write a screenplay yep. um, than it is to like do a whole. Uh, have you have you done that with any of your other works? Like written it as as kind of a um, 
a more bare bones thing, I guess, first, and then gone back and, and filled up the details? No, no, not really. Um, well, I mean, I just co-wrote a screenplay with Ben and Jay Coles for uh, a project we're working on science fiction, uh, space-based project. Um, cool. But how we're going to adapt that, um, there'll be more information forthcoming. Uh, sure. We're not we're not going the traditional route on that one. So we got all the hits today. <laughs> yeah, but Cam and I wrote four or five um, feature films. So mm. and that was that was the stuff we were doing first. But trying to get that stuff off the ground here in Canada was was well about as depressing uh, an exercise as one one can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of sort of threw in the towel at that point and decided to go to novels instead. Um, so Gardens of the Moon, the, the screenplay was actually only, it only took place in Darujistan. Mm-hmm. And it starts, I think, with the assassin war on the roof with Crocus. Oh. That's where it started. So it was wow. more um, kind of Indiana Jones style, um, headlong pitched adventure type stuff with comedic mm-hmm. elements to it. And then we did, uh, the second one was called Black Dog Blues. And that was a lot of the Black Dog campaign, uh, which is not yet seen light of day. Uh, in novel mm. form, but I think Cam's heading in that direction uh, with his with his new stuff. Is that related to the Motwood? Am I crazy there? Yeah, yeah. The Mots were Motwood's right there. Yep. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. I we I think we just got some more hints about that in I think it was in this book. I forget. And I do. I would love to see that stuff fleshed out. I think that's such a cool part of this history that we don't know. Yeah, we we gamed a lot of that. So that's what the script was also mm-hmm. based on. That's awesome. Very cool. Do you think any of those scripts will ever see the light of day or are they doomed for the shoebox? I don't even know if we have them anymore. I may have some copies kicking around. Uh, No, we lost Gardens of the Moon. I think Cam has uh, three and a quarter inch floppies of um, Black Dog Blues. I think I've got some files of, oh man, the first one, the first one we we wrote, we sold, but then the the producer crashed and burned after about Uh. three years. I, we don't have that one, I don't think. That one's gone. Because uh, when the producer crashed and burned, another company picked up all his all of his products and I guess stuck it on a shelf somewhere to collect dust. Mm-hmm. And yep. then we did another script. There were two of them um, that were sort of, one was an urban comedy and the other one was a rural comedy that were kind of uh, bookends. And I think we optioned the, the first one, the, the urban one, three, four times. But again, um, funding in Canada is so dependent upon telefilm which is a, a federal or national funding uh, program. Mm. And um, trying to jump through those hoops uh, just not wasn't working. We, we, we These novels were magic realism, and it's like they didn't even know what that was. And, and mm. it was very, very frustrating. And we had one called uh, Lawn Maintenance and, and the Primordial Soup. And um, it had a whole storyline that about two years later uh, kind of showed up briefly in The Fisher King, with Robin Williams, but we were told two years earlier that you can't make these kind of films. So, and we were told that all the time. I mean, our first film was a, a, a comedy horror, and we were told you, you can't mix comedy and horror. That's Dang. devastating. Yeah, it's just, it was depressing. And we struggled and struggled. Um, so, yeah, the novels was, well, and there's in a sense more control over, over the product because you're actually producing the product from start to finish. Sure. Whereas with film, you hand it over and things things change. Yeah, it seemed to be the safer route. Obviously, the safer route is to write yeah. <laughs> three mi- three million words. And yeah, and say yeah, here you go. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, no, but yeah. 
That's funny. Steve, have you read anything that has, uh, or had anything that's really inspired you lately, uh, in the last few months or so of this year? I'm going to surprise lots of people. Um, I've read oh, a 10 or 11 book series that was self-published and it's called, uh, the author is called Craig Allenson. And I would highly recommend you guys actually tackle this series. Uh, it's called Expeditionary Force, but to actually do it as audio because the, the reader is phenomenal mm. and it is extremely funny. And the world building, the universe building is among the best I've seen. Um, the books themselves, here's an example of one right here. I'm showing you. Yeah, I pulled them up. Uh, Amazon published, self-published. And the layout is, uh, sorry, uh, Craig, but it's atrocious. So that can be a knock on things. And, and uh, his writing style is very much a, a kind of run on sentence style with misuse of, of commas uh, instead of periods. So, the, I mean, a copy editor would have, would have been absolutely awesome for this stuff. But I, mm -hmm. it didn't bother me because the story was so freaking good. And I just, awesome. I, I've just, I've actually just reread it. So this is the first series I've reread in decades, wow. um, and only awesome. about only I about agree. three years between the two. Wow. And it's just funny. It's very funny wow. and good stories. There we go. There you go. I think the first one's called um, Columbus Day. Yes, yeah, it's a play on Independence Day. <laughs> nice. Steve, do you ever give blurbs for books? Are you asked to give blurbs? Uh, I don't give very many blurbs. No. I think what happens is people send me fantasy novels and I don't read fantasy anymore, but they send them to me because I write fantasy, Sure. but I don't read fantasy novels. So <laughs> do you just send that back every time? As you no, I don't send it back, but, um, you know, I feel real bad about it because there's sure. that expectation there. And sometimes, you know, I'm getting colleagues and friends, people I know who are sending me stuff. And if they send it to me electronically, I have tried reading electronically, like on my computer. But I work on my computer, and I just can't do it. I can't mm, do it. And I feel really way. bad about it. So, yeah, I don't read fantasy. And, and obviously, nobody sends me science fiction novels for, for blurbs. Mm -hmm. Do you ever read a good Western? Oh, oh Lonesome Dove. <laughs> uh, Larry McMurtry was, was phenomenal. I've got a I've got a bunch of Louis Lamours from my pop up I'm working through right now, and they are just it's just so such a different style. Yeah, I I mean I'm one of the few people who absolutely loved uh, the Lonesome Dove long series adaptation, the original one with uh, Robert Duvall and um, oh, the guy from, uh, he was made in Men in Black, the older guy. Oh, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. And it's a long series and it takes its time. And I just adored it. Television series. One of the, one of the first sort of really extensive long series. Mm -hmm. I've watched probably hundreds of Western movies with my pop up over the years. Yeah, me so too. <laughs> it would not shock me if I've seen some of this. <laughs> It takes its time. I mean, it's it's very very slow start, but man, mm -hmm. by the time you get to the end of it, it's it's a, it's a killer. You mention uh, you mention you don't read fantasy anymore. Is there a specific reason why, or just a change of taste, or something? Change of taste, maybe. Um, initially, I, I I switched to other genres because when I was writing the fantasy, just to avoid any influence. Um, but then I've just gotten into the habit of reading other stuff. Here's a question I've been thinking about with the fantasy genre recently. I just, I think about the fantasy genre's capacity to function as a society novel or to lobby a kind of societal critique or analysis if they're erecting this, you know, fantastical world or a secondary world. So I just wonder what you think about the fantasy genre's capacity to make, you know, those types of points. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, the fandom for fantasy and science fiction is pretty volatile. And so there, there's, there's pushback, you know, that comes back on the authors, probably for many things that it never even occurred to them to, to think what was problematic. I'm really not sure. Um, I've, I've struggled with believing that literature can have any effect on the real world. So, I, yeah, it, it, it's a question I can't answer. I just don't know. It's a morbid thought. Well, I, maybe morbid. Um, it's probably self-protective more than anything else. Um, if you don't think, you know, if you don't go into it with the sort of this, this notion that you're going to change the world, then sure. you, you avoid disappointment because you don't. So, on the contrary, I think podcasting is really how you change the world. <laughs> oh yeah. So, <laughs> I think after this call, you know, I think we've run and done it. <laughs> we've done it. Yeah. Are you okay, India? You're frowning. You know, honestly, I think that's like my focus face is a very upset face. <laughs> so, also my straight face. You know, resting bitch face, Steve. Mm-hmm. I have it. <laughs> Are you upset about something? Steve. I, I didn't know whether you were upset about something in the book or just upset in a general oh, sense. Oh, no. This book I really liked. You liked it? Cool. I Yeah. I thought this was this was a good one. I don't know where I put it on my rating, though. You don't have to We rate. did a rating. Yeah. You don't have to rate things. <laughs> you just like them or you don't like them. Yeah. I Yeah. I guess that's so. I rate everything. I think it's part of my, like, whatever. But actually, I have one more question. When you write these books and then do you, and now you don't even read fantasy anymore. Do you still like it though? As a genre? Mm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, it's it's <laughs> the kind of question that I, I, I'm struggling to avoid answering. The thing is, I, I, I mean, I, I'm under contract for writing one, two, three, three more fantasy novels. Mm. If I did not enjoy writing in the genre i would not be able to do them and it but it was a question that i, I actually had to ask myself when i sat down to write um the god is not willing because that was returning to the fantasy genre and i was quite relieved to find i really enjoyed writing it and so that was um that was a good thing i guess yeah i mean you don't have to enjoy reading it to enjoy writing it nice thank you <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that was well. How is it going for you? It's not bad. It's not bad. I'm sort of uh, because I, I flew to Orlando. There, there's all these these things you have to do um, crossing the border, um, and so that was a bit of a pain in the butt. Um, Were you horrified that uh, there is no COVID in Florida? Or well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I stayed outside of the hotel by the pool for most of the conference. Um, I didn't attend. I think I attended one panel and did not attend the luncheons or the banquets. I just mm. did not feel comfortable doing that. And it's it's you know it's like anywhere else. There's people who wear masks and then there's people who don't. And not though, Steve. It's not like any Florida is it. They don't even have to. There's not even they're not even mandated to. I know, I know. So I was doing a lot of selective uh, elevator rides. Basically, people yeah. crowded in there without a mask. I just waited for the next elevator. I had to. Well, I was self-testing. In fact, I self-tested all but two of the days um, when I was there. And then on the last day for the flight back, I self-tested twice, actually. One had to be online with sort of an official uh, medical establishment, a clinic. Mm. 
Mm. Otherwise, I can't get into back into my country. So that's crazy. Mm. But not that's not crazy. But like, yeah, it's just it's how it is. But it's um, I find travel stress stressful enough, and this just sort of added to it. And that was a bit sure. of a pain, especially got I've got to I got to go to Europe this summer. That's the plan, anyways. First the UK, and then a book tour in France. And I'm just hoping that that things will settle down a little bit, but I'm not optimistic on that. Am I crazy or was this French book tour planned for like two years ago before the pandemic or am I wrong? Uh, it was kind of planned, but um, because the French publisher was publishing two volumes a year, so they're closing in on the 10th one. So the timing, mm. and this is the first time that me and Cam will be touring together. Exciting. Yeah, wow. I'm really looking forward to that. Do you, do you and Cam plan on doing any gaming while you're on tour together? Gaming? No, 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 no. Ah. <laughs> Those days are gone. Ma- Malazan 2, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I feel like the ship has sailed on that. I think so. Have you seen any good movies? No. We're just we're just we're just chilling now. I know. I no, just, I... In fairness though, like I don't want to just, you know, you're a person on top of your career. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. In, in case you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've not seen anything. Um, can't remember the last time I was in the cinema. Oh, for James Bond, I think the last James Bond. It's the last thing I've seen. Wow. Gosh, I don't even know when that came out. And but yeah, I missed Dune. Wow. I, I may end up missing Batman. Oh, I haven't seen Dune yet. I need to. I tried to watch Dune, and I physically can't get through the first fifteen minutes every single time. And I read more of it than I could. I read more of the book than I can get through the movie. <laughs> Are you a Dune fan? I enjoyed the first book, um, but I have not reread it. And so when did I read it? I was 15, 16. <laughs> um, so, you know, often when I say that I, I, I stole the structure for Gardens of the Moon from Dune, I did. But just the structure, not much else sort of survived in my memory. And this can be off. So correct me if I'm wrong. Did we ever talk about mushrooms on this? Mushrooms? Yeah. Do you mean the um, like grocery store mushrooms? Not like grocery store mushrooms. <laughs> right. Okay. Forest floor <laughs> mushrooms. The magical yeah. kind. The magical kind. No, we've not talked about that, India. Okay. okay. <laughs> I just have a, a very brief question. So I know that you have, you know, been out in the camping and archaeologist things. I was just curious. <laughs> have you have you ever just like have you and and and, and the people ever just been like guys you want a trip? Um I don't even know if there are magic mushrooms in Manitoba, Saskatchewan and Ontario and the places that I work. Maybe there are. They probably are. Yeah, back then there were only two mushrooms that I could recognize and they were both edible. So um so we foraged uh, when we were surveying and if you find those mushrooms you collect them. You foraged? Yeah, when you're surveying, you get hungry, you want a snack. You Shut sna- up. You were snacking earlier. I watched you. I saw you doing <laughs> right, it. But mine Got was from the grocery store. <laughs> well, puffballs, for example, uh, before they spore, they're good. Very tasty. But as for wow. the uh, hallucinogenic kind, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm living here on the West Coast, which is sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's the place for it. Um, but I've never gone out collecting all right. I'm aware of microdosing. Um, I think yes, it is. It's probably very, very useful. And I'm think uh, my thoughts are from what I've read that the the clinical use of, of any hallucinogenic from that family, anyways, um, is probably very beneficial. 
I think so too. I've been doing a lot of YouTubes mm-hmm. and also you're very creative. So I just figure like creative people often like. like well, um, yes, bit, so. there are certainly, if you go back far enough in my past, yeah, there's uh, <laughs> a few sort of, well, dropped acid. Um, there it is. Uh, we, what else? We got um, him. Peyote. <laughs> peyote, which was um, oh. sort of the precursor yeah. to ayahuasca in many respects. Oh, so cool. The coolest. <laughs> well, that, that, I mean, you're as an anthropology student, at least at the University of Manitoba, yeah, was... one's instructors usually are experienced in these areas. So. Of course they are. <laughs> what That's a so trip, funny. literally. Uh I just want to double check. Are you okay if we leave that on the podcast, or would you rather have that cut out? I don't care. I mean, it's so okay. long ago I'm now. Just, I, I, I just want to. I just want to make sure. Cough up. It's such a stigmatized <laughs> freaking thing. It's so stupid. I mean, it's, I been, totally it's been agree. weeks since my last flashback. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. good. Nice. Ayahuasca, huh? You are. I I thought, but I didn't think. And I was like, no, <laughs> let's, let's try shrooms. You exceeded my expectations as, as you do. <laughs> You've passed. <laughs> there was no like passing or failing here. It was mm-hmm. just. Well, these things exist in every society across the planet. We've been engaged in, in mind altering substances uh, from the very beginning. It's only, it's only sort of really strange artificial impositions that, that are making this stuff um, you know, illegal or, or unacceptable. It, I mean, it was, it was a primary treatment for like a treatment um, mechanism by which shamans practiced, for example. Mm. Um, mm. And there's, there's strong evidence that the earliest wines and beers were potent uh, hallucinogens. They were mixed with other things and they were part of the religious uh, experience the spiritual experience. Um, for a lot of people. So yeah. I, I, I don't see it. I mean, I don't, I don't recognize it as being in any way unethical or immoral or, or anything along those lines. I think it's part of the human condition and it always has been. And, uh, sure. you know, don't Preach. sweat it. Agreed. No, well, now you guys can, now I'm done. Now I'm really done. <laughs> well, um, I feel like we put, minimal effort into the reaper scale part of this interview i'm nah. just gonna say it out loud that's okay everyone knows what they want to know yeah, yeah look they read they read the book they yeah. read right the book. they read the book they come here for the hangs well listen steve we appreciate you swinging by it was fun quite relaxed <laughs> and, uh, i enjoyed it yeah we, we we did too um okay everybody that'll do it for us here today uh Thanks again to Steve for dropping by and thank you for listening. If you have any thought for 10 Very Big Books at Gmail and Twitter and our next episode, we're starting Reaper's Gales. Nope. We're starting Toll the Hound. Yeah. It'll be out. We're a little tired from all these podcasts. We're taking a bonus week. Toll the Hounds is going to start on April 15th with Prologue and the first three chapters of the book. As you've heard, we've already read and we're having a great time. And uh, until then, see you. Bye. 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 Thank you.